You might know them from the George Clooney ads or as the coffee maker in your office's lunchroom, but one thing is for certain, Nespresso continues to innovate in the coffee space. But how does Nespresso view its relationship with its customers in the post-pandemic inflationary period? I'm Chris Campbell with the Food Institute, and join us as we learn more about the Nespresso brand with their Vice President of Marketing, Jessica Padula, coming at you right now on the Food Institute Podcast. So before we get started, I did want to bring something to your attention, and that would be the FI Newscast. Releasing every Friday at noon Eastern and hosted by Food Institute's own Susan Choi, the 30-minute program recaps the week's top food news and features interviews with the industry's brightest minds. Make sure to catch it at foodinstitute.com. And now, we welcome Jessica to the show. And to start off, why don't you tell us a bit about yourself, Jessica? Thank you so much, Chris. It's such a pleasure to be here, as uh, you always say, but it's, it's very true in this case. I'm always excited to talk about Nespresso and um, in my new role. Uh, so yeah, my, my background, I am the, the VP of Marketing for Nespresso in the US. Um, I've been with the company about seven years and had an interesting journey uh, within the company. Um, I started actually in social media. I, I joined the company as a social media marketing manager and have worked my way up, taken on a variety of different roles. Most recently, I was the director of brand communications. So had a lot of um, interesting oversight into different elements of the brand within the marketing organization. And uh, yeah, just took on this new role in January. And it's very cool to see, you know, the crop of social media managers starting to get elevated into those C-suite positions. You know, it's kind of a sign of the times, I think. Uh, But definitely very interesting. I think your perspective is going to be great for this conversation today. I think it would be useful too. I'm, I'm sure plenty of people are familiar with Nespresso and the story, but for those who aren't, could you tell us a little bit about that as well? Absolutely. Um, there's a, there's a bit of company lore to it, um, which is always kind of a fun place to start. Um, hopefully everyone knows that Nespresso is sort of the, the pioneer and reference, right? For the highest quality portioned at home coffee that you can get. Um, but, but where did it start? Right. Um, there's a, there's a story about a Nestle engineer back in, in the sixties or seventies, um, who traveled to Italy from Switzerland where the Nestle headquarters are, um, with his wife and they experienced true Italian espresso along their journey, right? Um, getting to have that beautiful handcrafted shot of espresso wherever you were in Italy and legend has it, Nespresso legend has it that, that they returned to Switzerland and his wife said, I want that experience at home every day. You're an engineer. I want you to create it for me. Um, so 1986, we were able to, after I'm sure much uh, innovation, testing and learning, different variations, create that first um, portion at home coffee, uh, really out of love, right? Which is, which is a great place to start. Um, but I think the, the brand has come so far since then. Um, one of the other big things that we pride ourselves on as part of, you know, our, our story, right. And our, the history of Nespresso is our sustainability efforts and the work that we do on the ground to source the coffee. So of course, first and foremost, it was about the innovation on the machine side and being able to create that same high pressure espresso in a small machine for your home. Um, but also the coffee that goes in it is just as, if not more important. Um, and we have to, we, we really take it upon ourselves to ensure that um, we work with the farmers on the ground in all of the countries of origins to embed sustainability practices on those farms and make sure that not only are we securing the highest quality coffee, um, but we're doing so in a sustainable manner because 
we want to make sure coffee is here on, on the planet in 50 years and 100 years. And uh, we take it as our responsibility to do that. So I think those two elements of our brand story are, are really an important place to start. Yeah, and we always love talking to companies that have the sustainability message as well. You know, I definitely agree there. I think, you know, when I first decided I wanted to try to talk with someone from Nespresso, the reason I was interested is because we have like an OG direct-to-consumer brand. Most people nowadays, when you think of a consumer brand, direct-to-consumer, DTC, typically a smaller U.S. company, you know, very fan-driven, smaller. Nespresso is a little bit different in that it is Europe-based, expanded into the U.S., and it's definitely bigger. So I'm wondering when you take a look at Nespresso, when you think about its identity as a direct-to-consumer brand, you know, what can you tell us about this? What does this mean to you, Uh, especially considering the size, you know, the backing, everything? It is a little bit different. So I'm hoping you can illuminate that for us a little bit. Yeah, and and I'm so... I'm so glad someone else sees, I think, that that OG side of, of being a D2C brand, right? I think um, having grown up in the social media landscape, like I mentioned, and that kind of being my playground for so long in my career, um, I definitely was always inspired by and interested in that landscape as well, right? Those smaller companies, almost startups, often influencer founded, that are really growing something from, from nothing and having that one-to-one relationship with their customer. Um, but I think that's what really drew me to Nespresso seven or eight years ago was that idea that um, in a really unique category, in a really unique way, we've been doing it for the entire history of the brand, right? Um, and I think that that's really comes from cre- knowing that coffee itself and the brand that we wanted to create was all about creating that long-term one-to-one relationship with customers, right? Meaningful connection and care for coffee, which is such a central part of people's daily lives, their rituals. Um, Nespresso consumers tell us that it changes their life, that they couldn't live without it. And maybe that's obvious, but I think there's something to that about really seizing that D to C um, foundation and, and leaning into that as something that's always been true about us. Customer service and the care we have Um, Even our boutique environment where you come in and you can try all the coffees and we're going to teach you about coffee if you don't know about it. Um, That's always been part of our roots. It's not something that we had to sort of reverse engineer in the world of today where people are looking for, I think, and seeking that, that one-to-one experience and that more personalized shopping um, opportunity. We've sort of always had that. That's where the brand was created. And, and I think it's interesting because then our challenge has almost been to go in the reverse, which is how do you take that very high touch, very engaged relationship with customers and turn it into more of an always on digital first interaction. Um, and I think that's been part of the journey that we've been going through over the past eight years, seven or eight years that I've been here. So I'd love to talk a little bit more about the ability to connect with consumers. Before we jump into that, I would like to talk about you know the retail network that Nespresso has. You're talking here about being able to teach people about coffee in person, et cetera. Can you tell us a little bit more about this and how it kind of plays into the overall goals of the company um, you know, in the current day? Absolutely. I think retail is such an interesting space right now, obviously, in a, in a post-pandemic world. Um, we went through a lot during the pandemic, um, all of us equally, but, but but certainly from a retail environment that those teams and um, those specialists have, have been through the ringer. And I think even coming out of the pandemic, before the pandemic, but certainly even coming out of it, we still see the role that the boutiques play in being a D2C brand is as really critical, right? Um, you can think of them as almost flagships for the brand. We have 38 boutiques across key cities in the U.S. Um, 
and they're moments, right? They're little microcosms of the brand and the experience that we want to create. We talk about our, our coffee ambassadors, our, our coffee specialists at our boutiques as, as brand ambassadors, right? They're there to live, breathe, and share that brand experience. And so that really does, I think, connect back to being a D2C first brand, having that mentality. Um, sure, it's a business decision and it's, it's a, you know, an important part of how we run our business. But I think retail, we've seen, um, even in the data as we look at it, that those, who, those customers who are coming in and meeting their barista directly, they're talking to them one-on-one, they're learning something, um, they're going to have a higher lifetime value with us. We've, we've proven that out in the data. And so from a brand standpoint, I spoke about it being a flagship and part of the experience and really a way to deepen an engagement and a connection with the consumer. But from a business standpoint, we've seen that it plays out in the numbers, right? That there is a value in having that space and that one-to-one connection is driving results. Yeah, so maybe we can dig in on that a little bit more. So are you seeing that people are buying specifically from these uh, retail locations? Is that something that you offer there? Is this more of an informational spot that then leads to, you know, DTC sales, you know, people getting the product shipped to them? Is it a little bit of a mix of both? How does that work? Yeah, that's that's a great question. And I should have clarified. I think it's it's definitely a mix of both, right? We Our boutiques are absolutely full service. You can buy the, the machines, you can buy the coffee, you can even buy um, in most locations, our B2B products as well. So no matter who you are, no matter what type of coffee you're looking for. Um, and we see, I would say in the past, it's been almost almost like a, a coffee shop that you go to every, every week, right? Or every day. Um, our customers in those locations, in and around our boutiques, um, the Nespresso boutique is, is part of their community. It's part of their every every week ritual, right? Their shopping experience. I, I talk about, um, I've had some experiences in our Soho boutique here in New York, which is obviously one of our biggest flagships. But if you go there on a Friday um, afternoon, right? Right after work hours in New York City, going into the weekend, there are lines of people there buying their coffee. Um, and certainly they could choose to buy that coffee online. We have a robust mobile app. We have a great website. Um, but they choose to come into the boutique And when we double click on why that is, again, it goes back to the relationships, the personal experiences, the ability to test and learn and and experience new coffees when we're launching them and we're constantly innovating. So it gives them a a connection, but it also gives them that experience with um, what's new and what's cool if you're really into coffee. Um, And so, yes, they're absolutely, from a current customer standpoint, they're they're going in, they're buying, they're coming back regularly to shop. but I also think there's a bit of a, a learning experience for a newer customer, right? They can come in, they can experience it. Maybe they don't want to carry the Nespresso machine home that day. So maybe we're having it shipped to them. Maybe they're going online and making their final choices. Um, but we really do see that as an interesting part that, that drives business. Yeah, I find an interesting parallel kind of I've been following plant based pretty heavily from the uh, the pandemic period. And, you know, it's no surprise as soon as Burger King introduced the impossible Whopper and consumers could try, you know, a professionally made version of this plant based burger, you know, sales started spiking and there was a ton of interest in the space in like 2020, right? Because of that. Do you find the same thing with your stores? You know, there's a customer trial aspect here as well, either, you know, brand new customers or even customers that just want to try maybe a new flavor, as you're saying, you know, these innovative new products that are coming out. Do you think that plays a role in this too? A hundred percent. I mean, we say all the time, tasting is believing, right? Um, It's sometimes hard as a marketer to talk over and over about the quality of our coffee. What does that mean? What does it taste like 
the in-cup experience is really incredible with Nespresso. And I can talk about that with content on social media. I can create ads that try to show you um, just how delicious and fulfilling it is. Um, but yeah, once you taste it, you're going to want to find a way to buy that machine and keep buying the coffee, right? So absolutely, you think of it as, as the, the foremost way to demo our product, undoubtedly, um, because we have trained experts there and that ability to really tell the entire brand story, which to me is the most meaningful customer that's coming to us as someone who, yes, wants that great cup of coffee. But as I mentioned before, it's also someone who really wants the brand to feel like a part of their life, um, share their values, uh, you know, connect with who they are as an individual. And you can, you can get that, I think, in digital environments, but not nearly as good as you can really experience that in a, in a retail or a direct environment. So like I said earlier, I did want to talk a little bit about the ability to connect with consumers. You know, I think DTC brands are in an interesting space. Obviously, they have the opportunity, I think, to connect with a customer in a way that a lot of other CPG or, you know, any other kind of food products don't because they don't have that personal connection. But it can also be a little bit more perilous because you do have that direct kind of line and there's no buffer if something goes wrong, right? So I think that it is kind of a higher intensity way to interact with a customer. I'm just wondering from the Nespresso viewpoint, uh, when you take a look at that relationship, how would you define it? Yeah, that's that's a big one because there's so many layers to it, right? And we we spend a lot of time thinking about the the journey of the consumer. We talk a lot about what we call the consumer experience journey or the loop for us because our product is unique in that you you make a big initial um, investment, you buy into the machine and the system, and then you keep coming back to us for coffee, right? And so there's different phases of that and different moments at which we want to make sure we're showing up in the best way possible. Um, and again, connecting in, in a meaningful way, not just a transactional way. Um, I think one of the things that we think about is um, this new generation, right? Gen Z, everybody's talking about them the same way 10 years ago, everybody was talking about millennials. Um, and I think it, it kind of is important to address what they are looking for in how we set up and what we expect of our relationships with our customers, right? Because the consumer themselves is changing. And one of the biggest things we look at is that, that Gen Z's definition of sustainability is changing, right? It, I, I spoke before about how it started at the farm level, how we work with farmers, how we think about climate change and sustainability practices to ensure the future of the coffee bean itself, right? The high quality coffee that we source. But then when you start to think about what Gen Z is looking for, they're really looking for brands that are rooted in respect, inclusive, inclusivity, diversity, celebrating sort of that type of environment. And so how we show up and how we have developed relationships with consumers, again, needs to not just be singularly transactional, but really try to address some of what they're looking for, for in that sense. And so we've, we've really shifted our focus and really tried to listen to that, ensuring that, you know, coffee can show up in a meaningful way. Nespresso can show up in a meaningful way in communities, not over in an overreaching way, but really to showcase, um, how we as a brand can be part of the sustainable future that, that everyone should be like working towards. Right. Um, and 
so I think that really speaks to how we think about the relationship with consumers that, that we want to inspire your love of and your understanding of coffee. First and foremost, we want to meet you where your needs are. Um, and then we also want to make sure we're deepening that connection in, in values and in purpose and in sustainability. So I know you have the focus on the younger consumers now. Do you find it ever kind of comes into conflict with trying to maintain some of the older, you know, existing customers you have? I feel like Nespresso has this kind of unique problem in that, you know, a lot of people, especially younger consumers are looking for those, you know, smaller DTC brands. Nespresso has a pedigree, right? And you have, you know, a, like a decent amount of existing customers, et cetera. Do you ever find that's conflicting or do you feel that, you know, overall uh, it kind of lines up and it's just an expansion of the brand there? Yeah. I, I think there's there's a bit of a rub, maybe less so with consumers and more so internally as we think about evolving as a brand. You know, you, you mentioned earlier, and, and I told the story, right, about Italy and being a European brand, um, very different dynamic for the Nespresso brand globally, right? Um, I'm not European. I haven't lived in Europe, but I have a lot of European coworkers. And the context of that older consumer that you're describing, um, that European mindset that like Nespresso is ubiquitous, right? It's everywhere in Europe. Um, that's been a really interesting thing for us to unlock the nuances for the US and needing to go younger in order to grow, but also recognizing that the consumer in the US that we're talking to, millennials and Gen Z, I should note, grew up just in a very different U.S. coffee landscape than maybe a European consumer. A European consumer today likely grew up in a world where they had Nespresso machines in maybe in their house, definitely in their neighborhood. They, they knew of the brand, right? I grew up in a, in a uh, my first experiences of coffee, right, was probably Maxwell House, a big jug of it, drip coffee. Um, that's the context in the environment. So I think that's the biggest shift for us is how we think about the cons from a consumer first standpoint as marketers, what is that generation, uh, today's generation's understanding of coffee? Um, and that creates more of an interesting shift in how we talk to them about coffee and then also how we innovate, how we think about product development to address those coffee needs. Um, I think there are instances probably where we've launched a coffee that's maybe more meant to be exploratory and out there uh, that does appeal to a younger consumer and maybe doesn't as much appeal to a, an older consumer or someone who's like very classic Nespresso, espresso type drinker. Um, but I think we're at the point where we're big enough to address the coffee needs and desires of kind of all those different consumers without it creating a conflict. And I love how you brought up, you know, just the different kind of coffee culture these generations were raised in. I mean, obviously everyone was affected by it, but Gen Z specifically kind of coming of age during the pandemic, you know, really probably impacted them as well. And I'm just wondering, you know, if we go back to that period, uh, a lot of people were looking for direct to consumer products, obviously, at the very beginning of the pandemic. And even as things started to ease out, you know, significant portions of the population were not totally comfortable with going out into public. You know, I would say at this point, maybe that's a little bit, you know, in the past, but I do think, you know, there were some sticky kind of consumer behaviors that are very interesting to see kind of popping up a couple of years later. You know, what did they stick with? What did they turn away with? So I'm wondering, what can you tell us about when, you know, people first got stuck at home in the U.S.? What was going on with Nespresso sales? Did you see a significant bump in interest in purchases? You know, what was that dynamic like? 
Yeah, absolutely. I think there's there's two pieces of it. And based on what we've talked about, it's really good to come back to. The first is there is a huge set of customer consumers in the U.S. who are looking for a great cup of coffee every day, that it's like vital to their life. And many of them were getting that out of home based on their commute, based on the different types of coffee that they want or their awareness of the ability to do it at home with Nespresso or not. Um, and so when that opportunity for out-of-home coffee was removed, the desire for the that need, or that need still needed to be met, right? Um, and so absolutely, in some way, we, we did benefit and we rode the wave of that um, home as epicenter trend that came from the pandemic, right? That you were at home, you weren't going out, but you still needed to find joy and fulfillment and the, the things that you used to have out of home, you now wanted to find ways to bring it in home. I, I, I always joke that for me, it was, I, I missed going to the spa. I missed going to get massages. So I bought a, a facial steamer. Um, and I, I think I've used it twice. Um, but it was the idea that I couldn't have it elsewhere. So I needed to bring it home somehow, right? Um, the, the added disposable income that we're all aware of from, from that standpoint didn't hurt matters for sure. Um, if you weren't commuting and, and spending $8 on a latte outside, maybe that, that value exchange of buying an espresso machine was, was better than it was. So we, we absolutely benefit from, from that standpoint. On the other hand, we, we've talked a lot about the retail environment and that one-to-one relationship with consumers um, and that ability to really have tasting as believing, right? Experiential marketing and, and demoing our product and things like that all went away. So we certainly still struggled to offset some of that um, and that inability to really in-person connect with our consumers was missing. However, um, I do think uh, you know, what I can share is it, w- it was certainly a strong few years for Nespresso during the pandemic. You look at the the Nestle results, you know, we posted strong double digits several years in a row. It, it was solid. Um, but when you start thinking about, okay, what habits or what routines have now been created and what are people still hungry for, right? We've seen huge uptick in, uh, you know, European travel, right? I was just looking up uh, flights for myself and seeing that I think the search search for European uh, travel and flights this summer is up like 80% or something from, from even just last summer. People are wanting, I think, to get back out there and, and coffee shops is certainly a part of that. Um, and so we have absolutely seen that return to work, that return to, um, you know, getting out of the house is, is almost a headwind for us in, in some ways, but we now have presence and that tasting is believing moment sort of we've overcome. And so now we turn our attention to how do we really retain those customers? How do we make sure that they understand um, the role and the value of that at-home coffee? Um, How does Nespresso bring them new and different experiences that maybe you can't even get out of home and just make sure we remain a part of their life um, while still, you know, growing with, with new customers. So yeah, to, to sort of sum it up, I guess that the pandemic was, I never want to say we benefited from it, but there was a silver lining from for Nespresso. Um, a lot of good came from it in terms of maybe people who were on the fence and considering at-home coffee or upgrading their at-home coffee experience. They did that. They seized that opportunity. Now we face the return in many ways. Um, and how do you how do you reaffirm the role and the value that you offer to someone's life at home with their coffee? 
And I think that's really interesting. You know, the one-two punch of the pandemic and now inflation, you know, is really changing a lot of consumer habits in ways we probably really won't fully understand for like a decade or so. But I'm wondering, you know, in this inflationary environment, you know, you have this daily ritual for a lot of people uh, having that cup of coffee. Is inflation impacting uh, Nespresso? How are you seeing consumers react to rising prices across the board? Are they running from the platform, going back to it? How do you see that playing out right now? Yeah, I, I, I think it's still to be seen, right? It's still early days in terms of overall impact. It's certainly something we, we've got our eye on and, and we're keeping a pulse on. Um, many brands obviously raise their prices due to the supply chain inflationary impacts as well. Um, we, we did the same, you know, quite, quite transparently. We, we raised our prices um, at the very beginning of this year and needing to, to track that, right? That was a reality of the increasing prices of green coffee when we're actually in the commodity market buying and selling the, the green coffee coming from the farms. Those prices were at an all-time high, right? Record record highs over the past year. So um, we did make that decision to increase our coffee prices. That being said, demand is still really strong. And, and I think it goes back to that idea that this is not just um, a functional product. This is a product and a brand that people have... Um, that, that means something to their life. I, I, every day I have the pleasure of hearing from customers, whether I'm in focus groups or just out about in my daily life. And people will tell me these crazy stories about how it changes. Like I've said, it changes their life. It's so meaningful. Um, I, I'll, I'll share one anecdote cause I think it's, it's valuable. I, I had a, a friend of a friend tell me, um, that her maybe eight or nine-year-old daughter learned how to use her Nespresso machine at home. And so she goes and makes her her cup of coffee in the morning while she, the, the mom, lays in bed. The, the daughter comes in, opens her curtains and serves her this coffee because it's so easy for her to make and she knows how much her mom loves it. And she her quote to me was something along the lines of like, I feel like the queen of Versailles. And, and so when you have a product that gives people such emotion and connect like like there's so much value in that there's such a emotional feeling to that it's not just i need my coffee i gotta get up i gotta have my caffeine um it's gonna be hard to let go of that i think for consumers even in a world where there may be their dollars are stretched a little more than they otherwise were um as a marketer the way i think of it is when you position yourself versus a more expensive alternative i.e in this case out of home coffee, um, you're, you have a better ability to win. And so I really do think we, we have it, um, on our radar to think about how do you say, actually, you can have just as great of an experience of coffee, if not better, and you can do it yourself in the comfort of your own home. And that starts to reframe, okay, maybe our coffee is a dollar for a capsule, but the alternative would be going out of my house, Maybe it's risky from a you know health standpoint. Maybe I just want to stay in my pajamas, but it's also way more expensive. And so I can get that same fulfillment um, at home. And and that's all about positioning, right? In these moments, I think um, you, we as a brand have to ride that wave and understand the the value proposition that we offer from an emotional standpoint, which I spoke to, and then again from a from a purely financial standpoint, how people are going to view that within their budget. I often go back to the lipstick index, right? So in, in inflation times, uh, they see lipstick sales often rise, right? There's, I think that's been proven with economics over, over decades. 
And it's because women in particular, were always looking for like, what's that, what's that easy, quick hit of joy when the economy is down, when everything feels tough, what's that one thing that's going to kind of give me that, that boost, that lift, that's not too expensive. Right. And I think Nespresso is very well positioned to play that, that same role for consumers. Yeah, I have to admit, you kind of changed my thinking on that when we were on a pre-call talking about this. You know, I think Nespresso, a lot of people that are not in the ecosystem probably have this understanding or, you know, maybe false understanding that it's going to be this expensive proposition. But, you know, really framing it against quick service, you know, coffee places, uh, you know, the value proposition to me, at least, seems pretty self-evident at that point. Yeah, and it's not, admittedly, it's not something we've done super proactively from a from a communication standpoint. I think we've stayed away from it, um, you know, for, for a lot of reasons, probably. Um, but the more we can tell that story anecdotally, the more we can, to your point, like just show people how you frame it is really everything. And the feeling that you get once you really taste that coffee, the way that it impacts your life, I think it then starts to take on so much more value than we could ever even explain in advertising. So the last thing I want to talk a little bit about is just loyalty. Um, I think this is the biggest buzzword we've seen at the Food Institute over the last couple of years, loyalty programs. And we're seeing it even down to like convenience stores at this point, creating their own, uh, you know, gas rewards and other stuff. I'm wondering from the Nespresso viewpoint, how are you viewing loyalty? Do you have these kind of loyalty programs? Is this more of a consumer facing kind of connection that you guys make? What would you say, you know, the Nespresso view on loyalty is at this point? Yeah, I love I love the idea of like loyalty with a capital L, right? Um, it, it's no longer just points and transactions or whatever. It's, it's this idea of like this big holy grail of loyalty. So I totally agree. It's a it's a hot topic for us and one we, we talk a lot about. Um, I, the way I would describe it is that it, it kind of goes back to what's been core to our brand all along, right? I've been talking about this idea of experiences um, and, and connection. And so I would say our focus is really on building loyalty through that idea of meaningful and differentiated experiences. Um, to go back to the pandemic piece, we, we introduced a lot of sort of virtual experiences during the pandemic to try to recreate, again, that boutique experience that, that we've talked so much about. And they were so successful in that time period um, that we decided to continue offering them even today as in-person activities are coming back. The, the virtual opportunity, the same way sort of working from home is still popular, virtual experiences I think are still really relevant. As an example of that, we do virtual tastings and sort of these recipe making classes with our coffee ambassador, who is a, a coffee expert and a barista himself and a, a very um, educated in, in the coffee landscape. And he does them with our with our customers via Zoom. They're invite only events. We sort of handpick different people in the community and they're meant to be a reward. They're meant to build that community. And people are still showing up even more so maybe than during the pandemic age is when we were all a little tired of the Zoom happy hours, I think. Um, I think we're, we're getting that feedback that people want to learn, they want to engage, they love the idea of like a physical representation of the Nespresso brand in our coffee ambassador. Um, and so that's been that's been great, right? To be able to engage in a digital first way. And I think that because it's positioned as an added service, an added opportunity, a bit of a reward, it creates a loyalty because you're deepening your connection with the brand and, and, and even with the product itself, because that's what it's all centered on. Um, 
on top of that, we are also able to start considering how we bring back those physical experiences too. Um, Pre-pandemic and, and soon we're bringing back what we call master classes in our boutiques, which are this opportunity to really understand your coffee uh, preferences, your palate, things like that. And the hope coming out of the pandemic is that we can have a really healthy mix of both of those um, physical, digital in person, not in person, meaningful experiences that we bring um, to the brand. And I think the other piece of it I've touched on lightly here is this idea of, of purpose. Um, I think people, yes, you can drive loyalty in a transactional way and that's that has a role to play. Um, and I can speak a little bit to that if it's of interest, like how we do that, we, we absolutely have a, a very healthy CRM program and, and offer uh, you know, promotions and discounts to consumers to keep them coming back from a pure transactional shopping standpoint. But I think what's maybe even more critical as we think about, you know, what I call capital L loyalty is the idea that consumers are going to stay devoted to brands that connect to them on their values and their purpose in this world. And so how do we build loyalty by connecting to consumers based on the, the, the things that matter to them. We think about recycling, we think about sustainability, stories of where our coffee originates and the farmers that, that we work with. Um, even what we call cultural moments of significance. Um, so let's say Women's History Month, right? We just had that in, in March. And we know that women have a really big role to play in farming coffee, in creating our coffee um, and all of this. And so how do we connect how that's a meaningful moment really just in consumers' everyday lives to the role that coffee plays in that. Um, and I think it's a unique approach, quite honestly, to, to think about loyalty through brand purpose. Um, but we really do believe that it, it drives a deepening of connection and engagement, which will ultimately result in, in brand love and loyalty. Unfortunately, I think we'd have to do a full extra episode on the CRM part, but I do love the ideas on loyalty. Um, I think the final question I have for you is just what's coming down the pike in 2023 for Nespresso? Do you have any new initiatives, new programs, anything like that that you could share? Absolutely. Um, I'll, I'll give you two because it's hard to pick. Um, actually, just this past week, we launched brand new virtual machine. We haven't talked too much about our machine portfolio, but this is our most accessible price point machine. It's in crazy fun, bright new colors, and it's the smallest footprint machine that we have created to date. So it is perfect for city dwellers. It's perfect for the younger consumer. Um, super excited. It's available as a D2C exclusive right now to, to our earlier conversation, and it will roll out among our trade partners more broadly later this summer. Um, we also have two new integrated milk machines. So if you are the consumer who loves to drink lattes or cappuccinos, we're really excited to bring our virtual creatista and our virtual latissima machines to life. We can um, obviously share links for those in the show notes and whatnot. Um, but really exciting machines if you're that wanting to be an at-home barista, uh, really creating and mixing and... Um, doing fun, unique coffee beverages every day. And then the other thing I will tee up because I was just speaking about brand purpose and I think it's it's always a, a fun one for us is we have a program called The Things We Hold. And that is all about the values we hold in our hearts expressed through physical products and phys physical representations of those values. Um, and last year we were lucky enough to support two organizations 
the Ali Fournay Center, which is the largest LGBTQ youth homelessness center in New York City, and Thrive Scholars, which um, offers support to sort of underrepresented and underprivileged students in their journey through college and into their careers. I'm super excited to share that we're launching the next round of that um, in May. So look out for some support uh, with a, an upcoming mental health charity. And we really think that um, coming out of the pandemic, uh, mental health is one of the biggest crises facing um, certainly Americans, but the world. And so we feel that coffee and the community that's created around coffee can can support that and and play a meaningful role in connecting us to ourselves and to our communities at large. And super excited to launch that in the next couple of weeks. Always love to talk to a company that's you know, doing a little bit more than just business, doing some stuff to try to help out the community. So definitely want to spend a little bit of time here just asking, you know, if anyone wants to learn more about Nespresso, order a product, what's the general website that they should go to? Yeah, you can visit us super easy at Nespresso.com or on Instagram if you want to see what we've got going on. From my beloved uh, social media accounts, it's um, Nespresso USA on Instagram. Excellent. And we'll definitely share links in the description of this episode. Jessica, I want to thank you again. It was an excellent conversation. Thanks for joining us and, you know, sharing a little bit more about Nespresso. Absolutely. It's a passion of mine and I appreciate you sharing in that today, Chris. Thank you so much. And that's going to do it for us this week on the Food Institute podcast. Make sure you take a look in the description of this episode for those links directly to the Nespresso websites. But other than that, we'll catch you next time. This is Chris Campbell signing off.